today we will be reading from Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals, but the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much that you allow us to be parched. You allow us to thirst for you so that we can see your glory, Lord. God, I pray that for everyone here that they will see your glory today, Lord, that they will feel your presence in this service. God, I pray for Steve as he brings your word, and I pray that, that you would bless him with, the, with your words, Lord. Let them not be his, but yours. God, we love you, we thank you, and we praise your holy name. And it is in the great and glorious name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you as always. Welcome to Life Community Church. So glad that you're here. Um, so over the last few weeks, we have been kind of really focusing on the principles and the practices that we see in the book of Psalms, uh, that we would, by studying the Word, it might, we might find a freshness in our faith to start this new year. And so we've covered topics like praising the King, loving God's Word, understanding what blessing is, confessing our struggles, waiting with courage. And these are inspired practices of our ancestors that God elevates to bring us into fullness and substance in life. But most importantly, it is to elevate the name of our God above ours, to bring glory to his name. And so over the eight weeks, we've talked about a man named King David, a lot of discussion around him. We've seen some great flaws in David. He's made some inept decisions. But yet God refers to David as a man after his own heart. And when he says that, what he means is like if you're a dad and you like bacon and your son loves bacon just like you, you might say, well, that's a guy after my own heart. That's what David is kind of to God. He's a man after his own heart. Maybe you have a hard time reconciling that with some of the things that David has done. I know that I have struggled in my faith with David and why God would give him such esteem 
looking at his actions and some of his inept decisions, what is so unique about David that compels God to give him such distinction and such esteem? And so obviously the answer is to be found here in these psalms, inside the words of these 150 psalms, 75 of which were written by King David. We sense, yes, David's corruptness at times, but we also sense his reverence, we sense his trust in the Lord, we sense his humility, his obedience, amongst other things. And this psalm today that we're going to talk about, Psalm 63, speaks sweetly to these things as well. Speaks sweetly to these things. And all of those characteristics, they are rooted in a deep relationship that David has with God. God has fostered that kind of relationship in David's heart. David is a man after God's own heart, not because of his words, not because of his deeds, not because of his awareness, but because of his understanding in his relationship with God. And that is what Psalm 63 is going to speak to us today. Not in words, but by how David uses his words. David is writing this psalm, Psalm 63, on the run. He's on the run again. And that's either one of two times. He's either running from a man named Saul or he's running from his son named Absalom. We believe that this is, this is David running from his son Absalom who's trying to kill him because David refers to himself as king in verse 11. David would not have been king when he was running from Saul. And so David is in the wilderness of Judea, which is just east of the city of Jerusalem. This is the same wilderness that Jesus went into when he was tempted. I love bringing historical backgrounds and, and kind of present or times and aspects, because I want you to understand that these are actual people doing actual things in actual history. These aren't made up characters. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a myth. These are real people, our people, God's people throughout time. And I am struck by how David begins his psalm. David would have been away from the city of Jerusalem for some time now, and he is longing to go back and be in the sanctuary with God. He just wants to be with God in the sanctuary. And the sanctuary at this time would have been important to, to the Jewish culture and to David himself. Jewish people would go to the sanctuary twice a day. They would pray at 9 a.m., and they would pray at 3 p.m. And they would, they would just, they love to be there. There's not a temple. There's not a building that's built. Solomon, David's son, is going to go build the temple. David's got a tent. It's not your regular Coleman tent. This isn't a camping tent. This is a pretty elaborate tent made up into different compartments. It is David's favorite place to be, and he longs to be there. And he opens up this song kind of lamenting that he's not there. And, and then he contemplates his future worship with God in the sanctuary. And then he gets to verse 3, where I think it is just the crux of David's relationship with God. He says that your steadfast love is better than life. So what David is proclaiming that is that I would, if I did not have God's favor, God's love, I'd rather be dead. A life without God's love is not a life that I would want to have. And this speaks volumes to David's relationship with, with God. It informs us of some wisdom as well. Because many of us have relationships with our Lord that don't echo David's sentiments. Our sentiments might be drastically different. Maybe if we were writing this psalm, we might write this in verse 3. Your ability, God, to do what I expect you to do is better than life. A life which I don't get what I want from God is not a life 
that I want to live. Contrary to David, our value in our relationship with God is often transactional by nature. Our culture markets to us this kind of me-first understanding of life, and it has permeated itself into his church, God's church. It's a me-first attitude. It's about my pleasure. It's about my happiness, and it leads us to this false idea that we get to have God on our terms, that I get to have God on my terms, and it is transactionally driven. I'm sure many of you are wondering why this pop machine is on stage. I said pop machine. I didn't say soda machine, right? Because we're in Indiana. We don't say soda. It's not Coke. And by the way, if somebody asks you to, to ever move a pop machine, decline. Decline that invitation, right? This, is, this was a process to get this up there. We often view our relationship with God in the way that we view our relationship with a pop machine. And so when you come up to a pop machine, you, you put your money into it, right? And you push what you want, wait for a little bit, and look, ha, I got what I wanted. Isn't that awesome? We get, we get crazy for those things. And so for us, in our belief, sometimes uh, we go about our lives, things are good, life is good, it's busy, it's hectic, kids are going everywhere, my job is calling me to do this stuff, school is crazy right now, and we just live our lives until something happens that is outside of our comprehension, something a little bit more challenging that we're not able to fix, and then what do we do? Hey, God. We give God our attention, we give our praise, we invest in God. God, look, man, this is going on in my life. I really need this. Lord, can you help me here? And we invest, we pray, we give up something, we read, and we wait, and oh, what is this? I got what I wanted. It's a miracle. Look at this. God gave me something. Oh, my word. Oh, he's a miraculous God. Wonderful. Counselor, indeed. Look at this guy. And we love it, and we get on this high, we celebrate it, we go tell everybody, and we just live our lives in this, oh, God is good. But then what happens? Life happens, right? The newest iPhone comes out. We get distracted. Things happen in our lives, and we kind of get back into our normal routine. And then we begin to walk again. Things are good. And then all of a sudden, what pops up again? Another challenge. What do we do? Run over to the oh Lord. I just, I need this, God. Let me, I'm going to pray. I'm giving you my attention. I need this right now. This is going on in my life. We invest. We pray to God. We give up things. We heighten our worship. We read scripture. And we pray with all the desire of our heart. And then we wait. And then, what is this? Orange Fago. This is nasty. I didn't ask for this. God, this is not what I asked for. This wasn't what I wanted. And we just, Begin to, what? why would you do that? Why would you give me not what I wanted? Why would you be so cruel to me? And we just start to question God. And better yet, sometimes we roll over here and we praise God. We give him his glory. We give him his attention. We invest in, I'm going to pray. I'm going to read. I'm going to give up some stuff. And we push a button and we wait but nothing comes out. And we wait, and nothing comes out. And what do we do? We get restless. We question God. 
I waited for this, Lord. I did my part, Lord. I came to you. I gave to you. I invested in you. How could a loving God be this cruel? I'm not even sure if I believe in God anymore. And so our entire relationship with God is built with what comes out of that hole. It's built on what comes out of that hole. And if it's good, it's good. But if it's bad, it's bad. If it's not what we want, if we didn't get anything, it's bad. And this is a transactional relationship with God in which we are always moving towards infatuation, he's good, or disassociation, why would God? And we just spike, right? We want God to give us what we want, and when he does it, we become infatuated. It's a feeling of euphoria, and it can carry us for a while, but not forever. Because look, infatuation is fueled by chemicals, by emotions, by hormones, by false ideas that fluctuate much like waves in a sea. Infatuation is transactional in nature because it is rooted in how we feel, not in the truth of God. And when the normal humdrum of life happens, everything seems to go back to the way it was. And when God doesn't give us what we want, when we wait, we begin to write a story of a God that is disinterested in us. And mostly that starts with us. Maybe there's something wrong with me. That's normally where it starts, but then it becomes God's issue because I've done my part. I've invested in you, Lord. And the disinterest moves from God to us to us, to God. And we begin to disassociate ourselves with a God that we seemingly can't understand, who is seemingly unwilling to hold up his end of the bargain. And so in a transactional relationship with God, we have these huge spikes of infatuation and these huge lows of disassociation, and we just kind of move in this kind of pattern. And there is absolutely no sustaining fulfillment, fulfillment to be found in any of us, nothing of substance. And inside of that type of relationship with God, a belief is created that something is missing here, something is off, and we begin to augment things into our relationship with God because there obviously is something more that I'm missing. And so we move into deeper, well, I must be studying this wrong. So we, I need deeper knowledge. So we, I need human wisdom. And so we invest in human wisdom just to kind of bring understanding. But really all it is is just to justify ourselves. We take these tiny, small, narrow, descriptive passages in the word about events, and we elevate them to prescriptive passages about instruction. And we build our theologies on these little pieces of scripture and not the whole story of God. 
We build our theology. Maybe I need to pray differently. Maybe I need to go to a different church, get into a deeper community. All the while, we just continue to spike. Uh, spike. I need to do this. Oh, maybe I do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. Okay, I'll read this. I'll read this. I'll get a part of this. Maybe I'll move over here. Oh, this isn't working. This is, I'll do this now. And we just spike everywhere. Nothing is fulfilling inside of it. Do you know that Paul writes this? Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says this. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it was written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Do you get what this says? What this passage is saying is that all wisdom, everything that is to be known, all wisdom and all the benefits of wisdom, all righteousness, which is good standing in front of the Father, all the realities and all the benefits of righteousness, all sanctification, which is God's process of moving us closer to him, all the benefits of that process, and all redemption, everything that brings our soul to God, that redeems our events, all of it is contained in Christ. Everything is found in Christ. John MacArthur says, Christ is Christianity and he is all that is to be offered because he is all that we need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Everything. And so we often shortchange our relationship with God in this transactional view of him. He didn't come to this earth to punch your ticket to heaven and give you what you want. He just wants to be in a relationship with his creation. That's it. He wants to be in relationship with those he created. And before God reveals to his creation, his son, Jesus Christ, David gets this. David understands that his relationship with God is not built on transaction, but built on companionship. David has the understanding in his relationship with God that the relationship is the reward. The relationship is the reward. And companionship is his aim. David understands more than most of us that he doesn't get to have God on his terms. If that were true, he wouldn't be in the wilderness writing Psalm 63, fleeing from his son who has plotted to kill him. What dad wakes up and says, you know what my desire of my heart is? I want my son to rebel against me. I want him to plot to kill me, and I want dad to go live in the woods. No, that is not David's desire. David does not get to have God on his term. God has David on God's terms, and David knows it, and he delights in it. In exile, in Psalm 63, he writes, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will, not did or is, but will lift up my hands. My soul will, not did or is, but will be satisfied in your, you as fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. David doesn't get to choose the plot in his own life. He doesn't get to choose the terms of his 
journey, but he does choose to remain close to the Father. He does choose to remain close to him despite it. He prioritizes companionship over transaction. That whatever the season, Lord, that my desire and my design is to stay as close as I can to you. And listen, you know this. You don't always get to pick the lot in life. You don't get to pick how things go either. Pain and trouble, hardship and struggle are just a part of life. They aren't inconveniences. They're life. Jesus said that you will have trouble on this earth. He wasn't lying. Pain is not some sort of inconvenience. It's just a part of the journey. It's the nature of living on earth. And so you can either choose to find somebody to blame for your pain and your hardship and cast your anger upon them, or you can choose to remain close to the one who said, take heart, for I have overcome this world. Take heart to draw close to the Father in what we call companionship. Companionship is, is a feeling of fellowship, of friendship with God. David desires closeness, and he creates it through honesty. He creates it through honesty. Everything isn't going to go David's way. We see that. Everything doesn't go David's way. But he's honest with God about his reality, about his emotions, and about his desires. He's honest with God. Nobody in here has a deep relationship with anybody if you can't be honest with them. You don't have a deep relationship with, that's not a deep relationship. Companionship cultivates honesty. And so the question for us today is do you practice this with God? Do you practice honesty in your relationship with the Lord? Do you believe that he wants to hear about your joys, your successes, your hurts, your struggles, and your pain, and that he cares for you? Have you at one point? And maybe you've kind of walked away from that. But maybe it's time for us to begin to practice that again today. To be honest with God. To actually do that. And maybe you say, well, I am honest with God. I do tell him, like, I want this and I like this. And Lord, I, I need this and thank you for this. But let's, let's look at how David does this. Let's look how David cultivates honesty. Uh, the reality is, is I could pick any psalm that David wrote. And I could teach on this. But I wanted to wait until we had some accumulation of David's writings for you to understand the heart of David and his words. The thing that stands out, the, the allure of these psalms is that they connect us to honest emotion through honest situations that we all have walked across on this earth. These are real emotions, real words spoken by David that reflect situations in our own life. It's the reason why the book of Psalms is one of the most well-read books in all of Scripture. Because there's a humanness that is contained in these pages. There's a heart echo in these pages. That's ours. And David expresses all of these things through honesty inside of his desire for companionship with God. Not transaction. And there are three things that I think David does really well in Psalm 63 and in the rest of his psalms. David speaks well to his environment. There are three things that I, he speaks well to his environment. He, he names his reality, right? 
He's longing to be back in the temple. We see that here in this psalm. He names his reality, and he does a good job of of showing his emotion. When we look at this psalm, David is asking God at the end of it, did you catch it that, that he asked God to throw his enemies to the jackals? Like, that's hard to teach on. How am I going to teach on people throwing people to the jackals? That is David naming anger. David is angry. And he has no problem with showing it to the Lord. He just does a really good job of showing his emotion, whether it be grief or worry or happiness or joy or sadness. He doesn't hold back. And then lastly, David names his desire. He names his desire. He isn't afraid to tell God what he wants. But here's the caveat. He doesn't get God on his own terms. And so he defers to the Lord in those matters. But he's not afraid to share those realities, that desire in his life. But he knows that God has him on his terms. Three things. He names his reality, he names his emotions, and he names his desires. And I think that these are things that create honesty. David shows us they create honesty and they create companionship with the Lord. And this is why David is a man who is in some ways imaged in the heart of God because he is a man that is in the pursuit of God's own heart. That's why David is a man. He models well for us companionship, most importantly with our father. He models companionship there. But this kind of rhythm is beneficial in our horizontal relationships with each other. Not just with God, but importantly with God. These three things cultivate great earthly relationships too, not just heavenly relationships. And so here's the thing. Can we practice them? Can we be honest with God about your reality? I don't like the things that are going on at work right now. Uh, I'm, this is good. I like this, my family. Uh, God, I don't know what to do right now. I don't know where to go. Can you name your emotions? Lord, I'm, I'm angry about this. God, I'm sad that this happened. And look, emotions are tough. All right, we've got to be careful with emotions. Sometimes emotions lead us into the wrong place. I struggle with emotion, mostly because I'm a man. I'm a man. My wife would tell you that I don't do a good job of expressing emotions. And so I've put a, a cheat sheet up for us today, guys, to help us understand some basic emotions that we can, that we can do them by faces. You can see them by faces so you know emotions. You got anger, happiness, surprise, disgust, sadness, fear, all right? You can see the face. Lord, I'm angry about this. God, I'm disgusted about this. Lastly, name your desire. Lord, I would like to meet new people. Father, I I need some margin in my life. Lord, I'm going to surrender my will, right? It's not my way. It's your way. But I'm going to be honest with my desires, but I'm just going to stay close to you, Lord. Stay faithful to you. Let this be a rhythm in our prayer life, cultivating honesty with the Father, and in doing so, it moves us towards companionship. The reality is, is we, we don't always know how to talk to God sometimes. But do I just say, hey? Do I wink at him? Do I tell him what I want? Yes. Yes to all of those. Yes to all of those. But I think David gives us a really good rhythm here of, of relationship with God. Names his reality, names his emotion, names his desire. And so I've actually given you some help today. Uh, in your bulletins, I've essentially laid out this psalm as a, a game of Mad Libs. Uh, I don't know if you've ever played Mad Libs. You're going to see two passages in your bulletin. 
There's passage A and there's passage B. Passage A looks like this. It's sort of universal. All of us who are going in life could fill this out, kind of create some honesty with God. There's some descriptives next to it so you know what to put in there, giving you some direction. It's a basic talking of pray, prayers and psalm to God that can help us cultivate honesty in our lives. Passage B is a little different. Maybe you're angry about something. Maybe something didn't go your way and you're upset and you need to just work that out with the Lord. This would be something that would be good for you to go through, to write this out, to fill in these things and just be honest with God. And so, listen, we're actually going to head into a time of reflection right now where we're going to give you some space to fill this out here today. If you don't have a bulletin, you can grab one on the way out and fill it out, but we would like to see as many of us do this together today. Give you a time to do that. So it's going to be a time of reflection. We'll leave the lights up. The band's going to come out and play some music, but after you're done, we're going to invite you to join us at the table as well. That you would use this thing in your bulletin, this psalm, to be honest with God, to share your concerns, and then to join us in communion. Get your heart right with him. Seek his forgiveness and join us at the table. Communion is a time that we remember the sacrifice of Christ and what he's done for us. The juice reminds us of the blood that was shed by Christ to cover our sins. The bread reminds us of the broken body of Christ that was torn open for us to be right with God. And God has asked for us who are believers to take part in these things, to remember him, and that to do that, we need to reflect and get ourselves right, that we would take some time to confess and to seek him and then join us at the table. And as always, I, I want to remind us that this time of communion is a time for the family of God, those who have professed belief in their heart and confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord in their mouths, this is a time for the family of God. And if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, then understand this, we love that you're here. But it's okay just to sit and reflect. And, and here's an even greater invitation. Maybe today's the day you talk to somebody in here about salvation and you take your first communion. And so the band's gonna come out here in a moment. I want you to take some time to fill this out or reflect and then join us at the table. Right? God is not a vending machine. He is not a vending machine. It is about the relationship. His love is better than anything. His love is better than life. The relationship is the reward. And it is all that we need. So let's cultivate companionship through honesty, transparency, and openness with the Father like we see King David do. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just give you praise <laughs> as a God that's patient with us. You're slow to anger, Lord, and we need it. And so God, will you just help us to just be honest and evaluate ourselves on where we're at with you? Are we transactional in our relationships? Or, Lord, do we desire companionship with you? And so, God, help us to have the courage to move towards a 
deep relationship with you that's based on honesty and trust, that we understand we don't get you on our own terms, <laughs> but we delight in the fact that we have you and you are enough. And so God, we just pray that you would be in this time moving our hearts. We thank you for your cross. We thank you for the death of your son, his blood that was shed for us, the life that he's given to us in his resurrection. We praise you as a good God. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.